0: Hey, if you haven't heard of Visible, well, now you have. They're the wireless carrier that's making wireless visible. It's in the name. Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon as low as $25 a month every month, taxes and fees included. Use promo code STUFF20 to receive $20 off your first month for listening to this podcast. Switch now at Visible.com. For data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. The Visible monthly rate is $25 per month. Life in our modern age comes at you pretty fast, which makes our time away especially valuable. When I take time to relax, I like to get far from my everyday life, immerse myself in natural beauty, and have unique experiences. But you don't have to leave the U.S. to experience tropical rainforests and islands filled with adventure, warm culture, and national treasures. Visit Puerto Rico, an island with a vibrant spirit that will sweep you away. Because when you visit, you don't become part of the island it becomes part of you in puerto rico you can forget where you came from and embrace where you are puerto rico where visits end but stories last forever no passport required for us citizens and permanent residents learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com hi everyone hope you're having a good weekend here's a podcast about dying from september 9th 2013 uh, it is my stuff you should know select pick for the week how dying works this is a tough one, um, but necessary, and this may be as much or more so than any other show we've ever done. We got a lot of feedback on uh, on just understanding the process of dying, literally, physiologically. has helped so many people over the years, uh, over the past five or six years, when their own relatives are going through this kind of thing. So uh, I'm glad it's helped people out in the past, and hopefully it will in the future. So uh, enjoy may be the wrong word, but hope you learned something today with how dying works.
1: Welcome to Stuff You Should Know, a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works.
2: Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. There's Charles W. Chuck Bryant. How you doing? Hey. And uh, Jerry's over there. Jerry, for the first time, just saw a meme that's been out for a couple of years.
0: Yeah, that's that happened. That's like when you rickrolled me like two years after it was popular. <laughs> right. You were like, Isn't that the best? Well I was lying in wait. Yeah. I thought that happened so. And there's nothing more obnoxious than sending someone something and be like, I saw that two years ago. <laughs> yeah, it's like true. Well, I'm so sorry I tried <laughs> to show you something funny. Right, right. You know? But yeah, Jerry just saw the uh do we even say?
2: The mumble mouthed reporter, maybe?
0: Yeah. The lady who supposedly
2: had a migraine but appeared to have had a stroke right? reporting from the Grammys in Los Angeles a couple years
0: ago. Yeah, I still don't know whether it's okay to laugh at that because I don't know really what happened to her.
2: Well, we didn't laugh. We very solemnly showed Jerry. Yeah. Yeah. And she laughed. (laughs) (laughs) Terrible, Jerry. Terror station. Um, (laughs) I've got one for you. Okay. I've got a bit of an intro. It's not much, so don't get your hopes up. All right. Um, Have you ever heard of the Population Reference Bureau? No, you have because I've mentioned it before. Ugh. I've mentioned this this uh, article before. It's on prb.org. It's called "How Many People Have Ever Lived on Earth." Uh, okay, and I don't know what we mentioned it in. Maybe the population episode sure. or something. But it's a really cool little article by this demographer named Carl Hobb H A U B. And he um, there's even a video of him explaining it. If you couldn't get what he was going with, but Hobb um, he reckons that modern humans People who are virtually indistinguishable from you or me, aside from the fact that they're not wearing like any clothes really. Sure. um, Showed up about 50,000, 52,000 years ago. Okay. So Hobbes puts the population of humanity at two uh, in 50,000 BCE. Oh. Okay. Yeah. So from that point to 2011, Mm -hmm. he extrapolates, does the math. This is a little demography thing. Yeah. And Hobb comes up with the number that 107,602,707,791 people have ever lived between 50,000 B.C. and 2011 CE. That's pretty neat. It is. That's a lot of people. He says that means about 6.5% of that are alive right now. Or were in 2011. All right, so we're dying off? Yeah, that's the point. All 107 billion, 602 million, of those people had one thing in common. <laughs> one thing, aside from being humans. Taxes. No, no. not even, not even. Pre-tax. Men. Yeah, yeah, they didn't have tax in, in 50,000 B.C. They yeah. had running from saber-toothed tigers. And Death. Death. It was death. That's the one thing <laughs> all 107,602,707,791 of those people had in common.
0: You know, when I was thinking of your intro uh, driving here today, I thought that'd be funny if Josh was like, how long have people been dying, Chuck? And you know what? This wasn't that far off. Nice. I was like, he wouldn't do that. <laughs> <laughs> You're you like, that'd be way too boring. What that's, a stupid way to No, that's a good that number. I like that. One hundred and seven billion six hundred two. Million, mm-hmm. 701,000. 7,000. 791.
2: Yeah. Wow. Yeah, and that includes you and me, pal. You know what that means? You're going to die. hmm I'm going to die. Yeah. Jerry's going to die at least two or three times. <laughs> We're all going to die. Yeah, this is our dying podcast. <laughs> well, and we have... Covered just about every aspect of dying. Can you die from a broken heart? How rigor mortis works? What's the worst way to die? Yeah. Um, is there a best way to die? Did we do that? That was kind of in the is there a was worst there? way okay. to die? Yeah. Um, we've covered everything from autopsies, peak oil, what can be done with the dead body, ninjas. Yeah. Well,
0: ninja, <laughs> at least. You should know better than that. Yeah. We really have danced around. Everything except just how dying works. And this is going to be a sad podcast in many ways. And gruesome in some ways. Yeah. Because we're going to touch on some of the stuff we hit on in like rigor mortis and autopsies and the actual dying process. Right. But, I mean. So brace yourselves. And I've mentioned this guy scores of times at least.
2: But as the Thomas great. Thomas Mann? No. no. Uh, it's uh, Charles Mann you're thinking of. Oh, okay. Uh, the great psychologist Ernest Becker. Oh, yeah. Shout out to our pal Joe Randazzo, yeah. who's like into Becker now. Isn't it Ernst or is it Ernest? Ernest. Okay. You're thinking of Max Ernst. Okay. Ernest <laughs> Becker um, wrote The Denial of Death, right. a seminal work that basically says we're all just doing everything we can to think about our own demise. Yeah. The, and there is some sort of health, whether it's spiritual, emotional, there's some sort of health or well-being, I think, from facing the fact that you're going to die. Sure. And talking about it.
0: Yeah. So let's talk about death, baby. Let's talk <laughs> about you and me. Let's do it. Okay. So uh, Molly Edmonds, um, who uh, used to be on Sminty, uh, Stuff Mom Never Told You, we call it Sminty, sure. um, wrote this one. And I think it is interesting, and I usually don't like it when articles say, like, the definition of blah, blah, blah. But it's kind of interesting that in the first encyclopedia, it was just the separation of the soul from the body and now it's you know 30 times that long in the encyclopedia right and that's just sort of indicative of how we used to think of it and how I don't know if it's ironic or not, but how medical science has complicated that over the years.
2: Yeah. Well, it's definitely ironic because, I mean, we used to be confident that we understood death. It's like that person isn't moving anymore. If you ask him what he wants to eat, he's not going to (laughs) respond. If you choose something for him to eat, like a block of cheese, it's not going to be swallowed. Like, that's death. And since there was perhaps a lot more religiousness associated with death and dying than there is today. Yeah. Um, that kind of underscored the belief in death. It's the soul departing from the body. That's right. And what what more do you want to know, Egghead? It's death.
0: Well, yeah. And uh, way back, you know, a few hundred years ago, you'd call in a priest, and they'd they'd check the body, see if it's breathing, and say, "Yep, they're dead." (laughs) And that was pretty much it. The doctor wasn't even involved at that point. Well,
2: there may not have even been such a thing as doctors. And if there were, they were wearing like masks that made them look like crows to protect them from the (laughs) plague. So they weren't any better at ascertaining death than a a, a priest was.
0: That's true. Uh, When doctors did come along and they invented things like the stethoscope, they could actually check and see if there was a heartbeat. Before that, there was Balfour's test, Mm -hmm. which I couldn't find out a lot about this other than you stick needles into the heart— with little flags on it and see if the flags move.
2: I think that's pretty straightforward. Really? Yeah, I think that's about it. I mean Okay. That's the test. I will buy that. And there were other tests that like a priest who may have come to say whether you were dead or not would use like placing a feather above the mouth or around the mouth or nose to see if it sure. moves. Um The old mirror trick? Mirror trick? Yeah. That's still, you know, useful. It is, but only if um, the mouth is still moist. If it's a dried mouth, it's probably not going to
0: fog up a mirror. Well, if it's not breathing, it's not going to fog up a mirror. (laughs) Right, exactly. (laughs) Um, So I said that medical science has complicated it, and that's exactly what's happened over the years because as we progressed with medicine, we discovered a lot of ways to actually reverse death, like bring people back from the dead, whether it's something as easy as CPR mm-hmm. or as complicated as you know, machines that help you breathe and feed you.
2: Right, and, and not only that, we've entered this really awkward period um, in human medical history where the machines that can tell us whether someone is alive or not yeah. are more advanced than our machines that can bring a person back from death. Yeah. So we have ways to sustain the body. Yeah, yeah, I see what you mean. But not necessarily the the person depending on your definition of death.
0: Yeah, like the faintest trace of a brain uh, wave maybe.
2: Right, yeah. So we went from holding a feather under somebody's mouth or nose yeah. to see if they were alive to using MRIs sure. to see whether there's electrical activity. And we're finding that all of these old signs, these old outward signs of death, don't necessarily mean that the person's dead. And even if the person is dead, we have technology like you were saying yeah. to resuscitate them. The question is, if we resuscitate them and they're still not talking, they still don't tell you what they want to eat.
0: Yeah. Are they alive? Well yeah, and we in this hasn't been that long, you know, I mean in the fifty two thousand years or whatever that people have been dying, it's only been the past, you know, sixty something that we've had to come up with terms like persistent vegetative state mm-hmm. and irreversible coma. Yeah. Um, because of those machines that can exactly. resuscitate or sustain a body. And uh, in 1958, that was when the, uh, a French neurologist uh, described the coma de passe, which is a state beyond coma, basically uh, brain death, although that didn't come along until technically until 1968 when Harvard Medical School did uh, uh, basically defined it for the first time. Yeah. Although they didn't even call it brain death at the time. What'd they call it? Just irreversible coma, like you're not coming back. Gotcha. Brain death was kind of tagged on later. Um, So, yeah, so coma de pass, um,
2: persistent vegetative state, brain death. Um, All of these things would indicate, again, that you're dead. The problem is is we have these machines that can keep your body warm, and can keep your chest rising and falling, can keep your body going indefinitely. Yeah. Um, but the thing is, is, there's something that's not there, and it, does that mean you're dead? There's been a lot of talk about um, exactly what constitutes death. Defining death is a very, very difficult thing to do, especially oh, yeah. with through the advancement of medical technology. It's kind of changed. Every time you come up with a, okay, I got it. This is the definition of death. Right medical technology can provide some picture of a state of consciousness or life that throws a wrench in the works, you know?
0: Yeah, and it's um, actually after 1968, it took uh, till 1981, a, a presidential commission is when they finally, in the United States, wrote a paper called Defining Death, Medical, Legal, and Ethical Issues and the Determination of Death. That was the basis for the Uniform Determination of Death Act, which basically rejected the Harvard idea that of the higher brain, which is like when your personality and your mm-hmm. memories are gone, uh, the cortical brain, that means you're dead. And they rejected right. that in favor of the whole brain, which includes the brain stem, which is what keeps you breathing and functioning. Um, they rejected it in favor of that. So Harvard was like, meh. <laughs> right.
2: <laughs> um, I, I, I don't know. I, I think I subscribe to the um, higher brain death. The definition of death, yeah um the brain stem I'm, yeah that's pretty significant, sure, um you can be born with just a brain stem. we talked about Mike the headless chicken before, oh, yeah, yeah, um, he had his head cut off, which included his brain, but his brain stem was still there, and he's a chicken, so it didn't really matter, sure um but there th- th- that is a there's a huge division between the two because there's a big difference between breathing mm-hmm. and being able to swallow for yourself, yeah and making a conscious decision whether again
0: what you want to eat right then yeah or having memories or just reacting to people aside from like you know physical reaction
2: right to exactly. a stimulus yes and that's one of the one of the, uh, the there's a whole article on brain death maybe we'll do that one I thought we did that no I think we did it in the organ donation procurement episode. We talked about brain death and testing for brain death. Like they shoot ice cold water in your ear canal. I definitely remember covering it at some point somehow. Yeah, I think it was in the
0: organ donation one. Or maybe living wills, obviously. We might have touched on it then. Did we do that one? We did wills. We did wills, but we hit on living wills in that. But you know, you mentioned organs. I don't think we said that that was a big kind of a quandary in the 1960s. Um, In the late, I'm sorry, mid-1950s and then really in the 1960s is when We went organ transplant crazy, Um, actually kind of not just the United States, all over the world. Doctors said, hey, we can actually give people a shot at life because we can now transplant kidneys and lungs and hearts. Uh, The problem was, and this is (laughs) sort of one of the sad things that Molly points out, is that the definition of death kind of came about – was hurried along maybe because we needed organs from these bodies exactly. that were still technically alive.
2: Which is a very ghoulish proposition. I mean, it makes sense from a very utilitarian standpoint. It's like, this guy doesn't even know he's laying there. Yeah, and he's got a great kidney that could go
0: to his sister.
2: Who knows that she needs a kidney or she's going to yeah. die and she's got kids that she wants to hang out with and like can put this kidney to good use, so... Yeah. let's let's figure this out, but um, as Molly says, like most developed countries have signed on to the brain stem, where it's like your brain can no longer keep uh, you alive, like right. on your own. You can't swallow, you can't take a breath for yourself, so you're dead. Um, the problem is', is that's just that's different, that's a much it's much more it's a narrower definition of death. I guess, and I think that that probably rules out a lot of people who might otherwise be used to harvest organs. Yeah, harvest.
0: I know. (laughs) Um, All right, so let's talk about death itself. It's funny that you, well, it's not funny, but out of all the different ways people can die, I thought it seemed simplified to break it down into three ways, Mm -hmm. but that's really kind of the three ways. Yeah, I think we
2: talked about that in autopsies too, right?
0: Yeah, it can be an accident, obviously. Mm -hmm. Um, That's called the oopsie. Motive death. Yeah. The violent death, which is also an oopsie, I guess. Well Uh, not an oopsie. No. It's tragic. Yeah. Homicide
2: or suicide. So Chuck, let's talk about what it's like to die from different types of death. You dug this up. You ghoul.
0: Yeah, because I I really wanted to know like what is it like to drown or to be burned alive.
2: Yeah, and and people have
0: survived some of these things and come back to tell the tale. That's obviously the only way we're going (laughs) to find this stuff out are from lucky people. Um, Drowning, I've always heard drowning is a good way to go because it's not so painful.
2: Yeah, and like the brain supposedly releases endorphins at the end?
0: Yeah. Same with freezing, I've heard, too. Maybe true, Um, although uh, drowning victims have reported... uh, aside from the panic, a tearing and burning sensation uh, when your water starts filling with lungs. yeah, And quickly, hopefully really quickly after that is the feeling of calmness. Yes. That and, overcomes you. And
2: tranquility.
0: Yeah. Um, a heart attack. You've got the
2: squeezing chest pain in your chest or your left arm. Yeah. Like a weight on your chest. Right. Um, what I didn't know was that because of the heart not delivering oxygen to the brain any longer, you can lose consciousness um, within like 10 seconds. Uh Um,
0: I didn't realize that. I thought
2: like it was, there was a lot more to it.
0: Well, it depends, you know. Everyone has their own signature heart attack as well. Sure. (laughs) Um, If you bleed out, I imagine this is not one of the best ways to go. Um, After about a liter and a half of blood, you're going to be thirsty and weak and anxious, Mm -hmm. anything over two, you're going to be pretty confused and dizzy and probably lose consciousness pretty soon after.
2: And all of that would be, that would relate to how fast you're losing blood. Sure. And it would probably be very unpleasant depending on how you're losing blood. Like why? Because you would imagine that if you're stabbed in the gut or something like that. Yeah. You got the attendant pain in addition to this dying from loss of blood. Yeah, or
0: like Man Reservoir Dogs. Yeah. That was like one of the most hardcore ways to open a movie. Yeah. Or not open, but they cut right to that scene after the diner scene. Right, after the walk. Yeah. Yeah. Um, electrocution, um, if you're in your house and you get electrocuted, uh, it could stop your heart right then and there. And uh, if you're in an electric chair, you may have actually heated your brain up to the point where you die or suffocated to death.
2: Right, but the there's indications that being electrocuted with enough voltage uh, knocks you out that it instantly... You lose con- uh, consciousness. Right.
0: That's the idea, probably. Yeah. With the quote unquote humane. I'm sorry, quote, humane end quote. <laughs> I'm going to stop doing that. I'm going back to quote unquote. Yeah. What if you fall from a height?
2: If you fall from a height, supposedly um, time slows, which is awful. Yeah. It's like, well, you're going to experience all of this. Yeah. That's, uh, yeah, the idea that you, that you, really can take it all in
0: that's really awful
2: and so they've they uh did a study of um jumpers from the golden gate bridge uh which is 75 meters what is that uh 230 40 feet it's high enough that's um, how high it is and they they found evidence that a lot of them died from exploded lungs exploded hearts um, their organs were all cut up from their ribs, yeah, uh, which would indicate death was pretty much instantaneous.
0: Yeah, we talked about that on something too recently, I think, or maybe I heard it someone else talking about it. it was a pretty bad way to go. What the Golden Gate Bridge, or just just falling, dying from a height? Yeah, I, th- I can't remember who I was talking to about jumping in the water. I was like, what actually kills you when you jump in the water from that high and it was like your organs smash into each other and explode.
2: Yeah, I guess from any height. Yeah. when you when you die from that it'd be from organ explosion or whatever. Yeah, or uh,
0: you know, the brain obviously. Yeah. If you go ahead first. Hanging. Uh, yeah, that's um the long drop back in the day would although they still you can get hung in certain states if you choose. Really? Yeah, Washington state I know you can. Huh? Um, you can choose that as your method they 'll build you the gallows and uh the idea there is you want your neck to snap, otherwise yes. you die slower and you know suffocate.
2: The problem is, is there is a study of thirty four prisoners that found four fifths of them died partly from asphyxiation really that 's the wrong way to hang somebody yes yeah. if you if you don 't snap their neck or they don 't lose consciousness immediately um they sit there and hang and and die
0: of asphyxiation, that's a bad way to go. Wow. Uh, and speaking of bad, I think being burned to death may be one of the worst.
2: Isn't that what we came up with on the uh, worst, way, the to worst way to die?
0: I think so because you feel it and you'd think like your nerve endings, that's what I thought, like, oh, your nerve endings are probably like stop responding quickly, but apparently that's not the case.
2: No, not only is that not the case, apparently your the fire further sensitizes your nerve endings, so you feel even more pain. Wow. Yeah, but luckily, most people, I, I think the vast majority of people who die in fires actually die from smoke inhalation yeah. before they ever feel pain from
0: fire. Yeah, that, or well, I don't know about before they feel pain, but hopefully quick enough. Well, you know, carbon monoxide sinks. So, like, where there's a
2: lot of smoke, you are down low to the ground, and that's where the carbon carbon monoxide is, so you're inhaling right. mostly that. So it's possible it's before.
0: That's true. And then the natural death, which is uh, passing of old age or disease. And here in this country, we have kind of whipped up a lot of the disease over the years into into – They've sniffed them off the case. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Well, it depends. Like
2: some of the ones that like kill undeveloped countries, like diarrheal diseases, like dying from diarrhea. Yeah. Um, You don't have that much in the U.S., but we have chronic disease like obesity and diabetes and um, cardiopulmonary disease. Yeah. Um, We have that down pat. I've got the top five here, actually. I think they're all in there, aren't they?
0: Um, Heart is number one. Cancer is number two. Um, lower respiratory is number three, uh, stroke is four, and accidents are five. Yeah. And it's a huge drop. Cancer and heart are close to 600,000. And then number three at lower respiratory is only 138,000. So that shows you what cancer and heart disease are doing in the United States at least.
2: And the upshot of all this is is that most of us are not going to die suddenly, um, either by accident or
0: by violent death. Yeah, dying of old age didn't used to be a thing.
2: No, it was
0: like... <laughs> it was like a lot of ways to die, but that wasn't right. one of them.
2: You ticked off some traveling night or sure. um, there There's was a, a dispute over <laughs> grazing rights yeah. or... Or the um, plague. Yeah, you walked into a bear cave. Yeah? Yeah, the plague's another <laughs> one. But um, yeah, old age, is it, it's kind of a new thing, but it's one of the m- most um, prevalent forms of death <laughs> In developed countries, it, yeah. it
0: actually has its own name, frailty. Yeah, which is great. It's sad, but it's great that now we can live out our lives. And and we're about to talk about it. But sometimes the body, just like any other machine, just stops working.
2: Right. It's not designed to keep going indefinitely. And no. ultimately, the system shuts down as its subsystems shut down. Dude, it's
0: shutting down every second. Right. Right now, That's our bodies exactly are shutting right. down very slowly.
2: And. For that reason, because you and I are both dying. I guess once you're born, you start dying. Yeah. Or after you stop growing, you start dying, right? <laughs> is,
0: that, is that just the positive outlook? Or?
2: <laughs> uh, but I mean, like you're shedding cells and like uh-huh. this is like the dying. We're in the midst of the dying process. just this natural system is in the winding down, although it takes decades and we still have plenty to do. Yeah. Like you said, you're dying. I'm dying. Yeah. That's why they have a, a, a more specific definition of death, which is um, called active dying. Like, you and I are not actively dying right now. No. No. Uh, instead, if we are actively dying, we're in the midst of the dying process. Yeah,
0: it is started. The dying process has started. The descent, if you will, has started. Right.
2: So, um, all, all this kind of happens since different types of cells die
0: at yeah. different speeds. That's what it is. It's cell death. Right. Cellular I, I don't want to let the cat out of the bag, but oxygen doesn't happen to different parts of the body. Mm-hmm. Your cells are going to die. Exactly. Um, and so as the cells
2: die at different speeds, different systems are going to shut down. But just from watching frail people die of yeah. old age, um, they kind of have like this, the, the order in which it happens kind of down pat. Yeah. So there's the, um, there's the pre active dying phase, which can take about three weeks, starts about three weeks before death, two or three weeks. Yeah. And then there's the active dying phase, which can take a few days. And obviously that's not set in stone. None of this is set in stone, but this is all just, um, kind of cumulative knowledge from observations of people dying in like hospice and things like that. So you get the pre active phase of dying. Um, And like I said, it starts a couple weeks ahead of the actual death. Yeah. Because we have, this is a big deal right now, what we're talking about. Like, it's becoming very clear um, in our modern age that death is not an instant. It's not a moment. There's a process.
0: Yeah, well, unless it is in an instant. But, yeah, old age dying. Yes. Or like other kinds of dying. But how about non-accidental dying? Okay. Okay. We'll call it that. Because that's like the instantaneous thing. Right. And even sometimes in a very short scale, that can follow some of these, you know. Oh, so, yeah.
2: forgot it's audio. Yes. <laughs> I was nodding my head. <laughs>
0: So, the preactive phase of dying, Chuck, what do we got? Well, um, you're going to start sleep. You're going to get sleepy. You're not going to have much energy. You're going to start sleeping more and more. Uh, your skin might become cooler to the touch, might turn a little bluish gray.
2: Yeah. Uh, cyanosis? Is what that's called.
0: Oh, is that what that's called? It's just
2: becoming oxygen deprived. Like apparently your body's like, okay, don't really need to use the legs anymore because we're bedridden, so I'm gonna start focusing more of the circulation on the uh inner organs. Okay. The that makes organs.
0: sense. Yeah. Well that probably causes the modeling too, which is uh your your skin can become sort of reddish like splotchy mm-hmm. with reddish blue splotches as well. Right. right. You're gonna
2: um you're gonna be a little restless, probably. Yeah. You're going to possibly come off as confused. Um, you're, you're not going to be hungry. No, you're going to probably withdraw from um, social activities. Yeah. You're going to become a little a little withdrawn. Um, you might want to settle f- um, unfinished business with family. You might request family come visit you for that kind of thing.
0: Oh, sure. The non-physical parts, that's definitely something you'd be interested in doing. Right. Yeah.
2: But that's like um, apparently something that, that people intuitively know like they they need to apparently patients know when they're dying.
0: I've I've seen that happen.
2: And one of the one of the signs uh from um that's mentioned in hospice care, palliative care. Yeah. Um is that the patient
0: may even state I'm dying. Yeah. Like I started it's coming. That's pretty common. Yeah. Um yeah, and that's sad that when you realize like all right, this is this is it. Like I feel myself, uh, I'm gonna be gone soon.
2: But that's neat, though, especially if you if are, you have that time. Yeah, yeah. If you're like, okay, I'm gonna put everything in order, sure, and die happy or
0: peacefully. Yeah,
2: that's neat that you have that that time to to take care
0: of that. If yeah, you're, if you're fortunate enough to go that way, for right. sure.
2: Back to physically, um, you you won't be able to heal from a wound or an infection any longer.
0: Yeah, you might um, lose control of your bladder and your bowels Mm -hmm. over the course of some time. Um, You might be in pain, but chances are, here in the modern world, they're going to take care of you in that respect. Right, and again,
2: that's called palliative care, where at some point it's very obvious that you're going to die. Um, And a lot of it can be based on what you want, Sure. even even, um, without your wishes, there's probably a, a point in time where... Medical science says there's nothing we can do for you. Yeah, Um, we just want to make you comfortable. Exactly. So we're going to give you pain meds. We're going to like your your care is being transferred over from a physician to who's you know wants to save your life and keep you going to hospice workers. Yeah, healthcare professionals who are trained to just keep you as comfortable as possible for the for the duration of your life. Right,
0: man. Hats off to those people. Yes. Like, all healthcare professionals, of course, but man, hospice nurses, that is tough stuff. You got to be, like, you got to be made of of the right qualities as a human to be able to to tackle something like that and still get up and go to work every day.
2: Like, they're literally in the business of dying. Yeah.
0: I mean, it's very valuable, valuable service people provide. So, that's the the pre-active phase.
2: That's the, I'm getting ready to die. I got a couple weeks and all of my systems are starting to wind down. Yeah. In the active phase, the systems are starting to shut down. Um, you may not have consciousness, and if you do, you may uh, – if if you are able to be aroused from, con- from unconsciousness, yeah. you're going to slip right back into it again possibly. Um, you are probably – and apparently families – find this very disconcerting, you're probably going to talk about people who are dead as if they're in the room or you can see them or hear them. Yeah.
0: Is this just the mind slipping?
2: uh, They don't know. Um, Hospice workers, from what I can tell, tend to just treat it like it's real, treat it on its own terms. Yeah. They're not saying it's real or it's a hallucination or something like that. And they advise families not to treat
0: it like a hallucination, just to... Not to correct them. Yeah, that makes sense because you're there to provide comfort, not say, no, grandpa, grandma's been gone for years. Exactly. Why would you want to do that?
2: The, the, there is an exception to that. You would want to do that if they're fearful from their visions. Oh, okay. Then you can say, that's it's not real. It's just you, your brain. Or that's not real or whatever. Yeah, again, all about comfort. Yes. Yeah. But you don't want to contradict them if they're happy or sure. even saying it in a neutral tone. It's only if they're, they're fearful that you want to say that. But apparently, families are kind of like, oh, God, they're oh, going sure. crazy, you know? Yeah. But it's a, a, it's a natural part of the active dying process. Breathing's going to become really weird. Um, the patient's going to stop breathing for disconcertingly long periods of time.
0: Yeah, this is called uh, Cheney Strokes Respiration. Stokes, sorry. Mm -hmm. Cheney Stokes, name for John Cheney and William Stokes. Obviously, the first dudes who described it. Sure. They always get all the press. Uh, Quick, deep breaths, sometimes very slow ones, like you said, sometimes stopping altogether. Uh, And that is caused by receptors in the heart and brainstem basically being too sluggish to respond to different amounts of oxygen and CO2. Mm -hmm. And it's just kind of lagging behind. Again, think of it as a machine that's just slowing down, and those receptors can't pick up on it in time, so it's it doesn't know how to tell you to breathe, basically, Yeah, like at a steady rate.
2: Um, we should say that there isn't evidence that that is physically painful.
0: True. Again, it's like... It's awful for the a healthy fam- person in the room, yeah.
2: Yeah, for the family watching it, you think that the person's suffering. There's not evidence that they are, in fact, suffering. Yeah. But it seems like it, and that... From what I understand with palliative care, um, not only making the patient comfortable is, is one of the priorities, making the family comfortable is a, a priority as well, because how you die mm-hmm. has a very lasting impact on the people who are there to witness your death,
0: Yeah, your for sure. family. Yeah.
2: So um, explaining that they're not suffering uh, is helpful, but not necessarily
0: enough. Yeah, and I think actually this sh- podcast itself could help like some people because I don't think a lot of people do this sort of research when they go into a hospital room in the last hours of a loved one's life.
2: Yeah, and, and they may not be told. They may even if it is explained to them, it might not sink in what they're being told. Yeah. Uh, because, you know, seeing somebody gasping for breath and then being told that they're not really suffering, those two things might not
0: jibe. Well, yeah, your your instinct is to probably try and get help. Yeah, like they can't breathe. Clearly, let's get a nurse in here. And the nurse is like, "No, that's that's, it's part of it." Yeah. Another
2: one that's uh, very disconcerting. Another sign of active dying is the death rattle. And yeah, uh, I did a, I guess a don't be dumb on death rattles. Oh, really? And basically, either you have fluid in the lungs, mm-hmm. or <clears throat> like you know when you clear your throat, like I just did. Yeah, that's a normal ability you have until you start dying. Yeah. You can't clear your throat anymore. Yeah, um, those
0: are your laryngeal muscles. Right. Basically spasming.
2: What, clearing your throat? No,
0: the death rattle. No, the death rattle is just breathing through the mire. It's both. It's it's either liquid or it's the muscle spasms. Is that right? Yeah. Okay.
2: So did you find that that's painful? Because I found that it's it doesn't cause
0: pain. It's just, no. it
2: sounds terrible, again, to the people in the room. <laughs> exactly. Yeah.
0: And this is, uh, I don't think we pointed out, this is the agonal phase of death, and it's Greek for struggle and... Agony? Yeah, that sort of just uh, encapsulates it.
2: I think that's probably why they call it the active phase of death now, rather than agonal.
0: Oh, do they? They don't even call it that anymore.
2: I mean, I th- I think some people do, but I think the active and agonal are the same, one and the same. Gotcha. It's just, you know, they're in the agony
0: phase, right? <laughs> or they're in the active phase. Uh, your muscles, aside from your vocal cords, um, might start convulsing and spasming. Um, you can get all, you know, herky jerky and do things <laughs> that wouldn't seem like you should be able to do in your state, like um card tricks. I don't know if you could do card Shuffling tricks. Shuffling card tricks from one <laughs> hand to the other. And <laughs> grandpa never could before. Yeah. I knew we'd get some humor in here somehow. Um what else?
2: Uh well, let's see. Um your blood pressure's going to drop, your jaw's going to drop. You might end up in a really weird rigid position. Yeah. Um and uh your I think we said your extremities are going to be cold to the touch.
0: Yeah, actually the um the, the death rattle as a result of the spasming of your laryngeal muscles, uh-huh. that can also produce um, what was described in what I read as a barking sound. Oh, yeah? Yeah, and I've never, I didn't search that out to see if that was recorded anywhere, but uh, I'm curious what that sounds like.
2: I've heard everything from uh, gurgling, like gurgle, uh-huh. to it sounds like there's marbles in your throat. Right. Uh, barking, that's a new one, but. I I think everybody has their own signature death rattle, you know? Yeah. But the rule of thumb apparently among hospice workers is once the death rattle comes, it's a sign that they got about 48 hours or less left to live.
0: Yeah, and all of these are tells really. And all of them, and we'll talk about what happens after the body is dead too. And that helps with finding out, you know, in forensics, I think we pointed out plenty of times, at the time of death, uh, depending on the various things that happen, you know, when they find you. But all, all of these are almost like uh, like markers on a clock. Yeah. And if you're in hospice care, you know these things like, oh, this, is, this means this. Well, there are signs and symptoms of the
2: system shutdown that the person's body is going through,
0: you know? Yeah.
2: So um, it, the, the senses apparently also are lost in a, a healthy person or a person who has all five senses. Yeah. Um, they're lost in a certain order. And touch and hearing are the last to go. Oh, really? And another... That's kind of nice. Another very important point that hospice workers make is never, ever talk about the patient like they're not there. Yeah, yeah. Because they can hear you up until the end. Yeah. Like hearing is kept so long as the person could hear before then and there's not any damage from, you know, during the active dying period. Um, They can hear you until the moment they die and you need to... Be careful what you say,
0: yeah, and I think that's a really nice thing that the last things that you can experience are the touch of a loved one or the voice of a loved one,
2: right, you and, know you may needs
0: to see'. Them. you may not even be able to respond to that, yeah, but you can still hear that's true, yeah, I would definitely pick that over sight. I'd rather hear someone's words as I pass rather than having silence and just seeing their faces staring at me, so long as the words aren't wait one more thing. <laughs> I think it would be almost cruel to be able to see and not hear at the end, you know? Yeah. Like who wants to see your family upset? You want to hear feel them yeah, hold your hand and say everything's gonna be all right.
2: So you so you you raise a good issue, like there's if you have a dying family member, especially if they're dying of frailty or they're just dying, like they're in the dying process, or so they're about to enter the dying process. Yeah. Um, you could do worse things than to go online and, and educate yourself on how to be around them. Yeah. I think people don't intuitively know how to be around a dying person, and there's certain things that you should do, certain things you shouldn't do. Like, for example, um, they say that you should talk to the person, not the condition. Yeah. So don't treat them like they're frail or dying. Like Treat them like they're your old friend, yeah, yeah. who they are. Um, it's extremely important to make sure that they're in a peaceful, calm environment. Sure. Um, so, like, maybe yelling at somebody over the will is a really bad idea. These seem like no-brainers, but I guess some people need to be told this stuff. Yeah, but, I mean, think about it. Like, it it can put you on edge being around a dying person. Like, do you mention the fact that they're going to die? Or do you, you know, I mean, like, do you dance around it? If they make a joke or something, like, uh, can you laugh? Or do you laugh too hard? Do you not laugh enough? Like, uh, there's, I, I think it's not necessarily, like...
0: Yeah, I not, think
2: it's it's just put you on edge. Not everyone
0: different. is as sensitive to. So What's I'm, I'm going to add one. Don't bring your laptop in there and watch uh, reruns of The Office.
2: No, yeah. Are you speaking from experience?
0: No, I'm just going to add that. Okay, <laughs> that's on my list. Okay, get off your cell phone. Yeah, pay attention to them.
2: Sure. Yeah, I mean that's what you're there for. Um, yeah. That, as hospice workers put it, you're giving them a very um, heartfelt gift. By being there, sure, with them while they're dying, and, and maybe like, receiving a gift, you know, sure.
0: And many religions and cultures, it's very uh, much an honor to like be a part of this whole thing. And even if you're not uh, religious, it, you could just feel that way spiritually as a human. Yeah, you know. Okay, uh, well, let's pause here because Chuck, it's
1: time for a message break.
0: Stuff you should know. And uh, we're back. Okay, so are we dead yet? Are we at that point? Yeah, the the, the
2: person has passed. You just sounded very cheery. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, like, uh, we rattle off some pretty, what seems like suffering, but now the suffering is over.
0: If there was any, the person is dead. So once you immediately, immediately after you die, your pupils are going to dilate because the muscles controlling the iris are, you know, going to have their final rest. So your pupils are going to dilate. And then, uh, have you heard of the terminal tear or the lacrima mortis? No. This is a um, usually in the right eye, and there's no real explanation for it, but um, it is a final tear that you shed. Wow. And um, it doesn't always happen right after you die, although it can. They did a study in the early 90s in New Zealand, and out of 100 deaths, 14 of them right at the time of death had the Lacrima mortis tear and uh, 13 of them in the final 10 hours and they say uh, to to look out for that if you're the family because it can be a sign and also they try to talk you into the fact that it's a comforting thing yeah. like, to see that tear being shed wow yeah and since we're on eyes uh-huh. you know the old thing where you close someone's eyes <clears throat> after they die oh yeah or you put silver dollars on yeah if it's if it's the old west yeah <laughs> um I guess people do that too, so you're not having someone a dead body staring at you. Right, because if they're looking dead forward, straight <laughs> yeah.
2: forward, they're like following you all throughout the Yeah,
0: uh. and it's definitely a movie trope. But if you don't close the eyes, and I never knew this, um, something called T-A-C-H-E noir, I don't know if it's Tash or Taish, noir. Okay. That is a, a black, a dark reddish brown strip that forms horizontally over your eyeball. And I guess it's just, you know, your eyeballs dry out and has the air. Huh. So if you don't close the eyes, and I looked it up, it, you're going to see this weird horizontal stripe across your eye.
2: There's a, plus the the effect it has on the living, the difference between seeing a dead body with their eyes closed and a dead body with their eyes open is yeah. just, it's like a galaxy between the two as far as discomfort goes.
0: Yeah, somebody should edit together the, uh, like, every time that's ever been done in a movie. Yeah. They're just, like, super fast. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so that's all I got on the eyes. So, Chuck,
2: I want to alarm you right now. Oh, boy. You have, living in your guts right now, the very organisms that are going to decompose your body when you die. They're just sitting around waiting, waiting for action. Waiting for the signal. Yep. Um, When you die, there's a lot of stuff that's still alive, that's still going on, even though you're brain dead, Whole brain, higher brain, heart dead, your heart stopped. You're dead. That's another definition of death. I don't know if we mentioned your heart's not beating anymore. Right. Uh, You're dead, yes. Um, There's no bringing you back. You've been in, your heart hasn't, or your brain hasn't had oxygen for a while. You died of hypothermia uh, and they (laughs) warmed you up. So now you're officially dead. You're gone. Right. But there's still a lot of stuff. Remember the. poop shake episode yeah who can forget we talked about the microbiome we have this whole other like part of our life our living organism that's still around that's still operating yeah and a lot of stuff living within us including part of our microbiome they're still carrying on processes like apparently you can harvest skin cells for 24 hours yeah and and they're still alive just use them
0: (laughs) yeah for (laughs) all sorts of stuff yeah you can harvest them uh And then, of course, inside your intestines, there's little tiny organisms that are still living Mm -hmm. and are going to help do the work that comes next. Starting a couple days after death. Like if you just fell over
2: in the woods and no one was around. (laughs) I always love the setting. Right? Um, And you're just left there. Uh Within about three days, these organisms, the microflora, is going to go to work on you,
0: starting in your intestines. Yeah, and this is after the various mortises, correct?
2: Yes, which... I guess we should kind of go over it, but I would recommend everybody um, go listen to What Causes Rigor Mortis. Yeah, for sure. It's on the website. You can go to com slash podcasts uh, slash what hyphen causes hyphen rigor
0: <laughs> hyphen mortis. Um, we'll just run through the mortises real quick then. Um, algor mortis or the death chill, mm-hmm. that's the first, first thing that's going to happen. That's where your body starts dropping in temperature, yep. about a degree and a half Fahrenheit per hour until you are just like a nice red wine at room temperature.
2: Yeah. Actually, that's not quite true. Red wine's like 64 degrees Fahrenheit. I guess it depends on what kind of room you're in. Yeah, if you're in a 64 degree... It's perfect. <laughs> yeah. All right, what else? Uh, well, after algor mortis, um, you get rigor mortis a couple hours after death where the body um, settles into a um, stiff state. Yeah. Uh, and that lasts for, what, like 24 hours? I don't remember. We talked about it.
0: Uh. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, and then between those, you have liver mortis or uh, su- sedulation.
2: That's where, like, all the blood coagulates at the bottom? Yeah,
0: basically the, your red blood cells are pretty heavy, and they just sink. And um, it's about 20 minutes to three hours after death is when you're going to be in liver mortis. Yeah. And then after that is rigor. That's
2: right. Okay.
0: So, so now back to putrefaction. Right, well— <laughs> The best thing to talk about. Yeah, ever. that's
2: that's basically like your these organisms going to work, breaking down your body. And they do it pretty quick. Yeah. Um, the pancreas apparently has so many in there that it just...
0: Eats it, itself. It, it eats
2: itself. The pancreas <laughs> yeah. consumes itself.
0: That's pretty efficient.
2: Um, your other organs are going to eventu- eventually be consumed and in, turned into liquid. Yeah. You're liquefied
0: from the inside out. Yeah, you're going to turn colors uh, in this order. Green, then purple, then black. Mm-hmm. Which is just like a like a black eye, I guess. Yeah, is that
2: the same stage? Yeah, except it never fully heals. Yeah, it, it explodes. <laughs> um, you uh, within a couple of weeks, you're going to be liquid inside. Yeah, uh, the organisms that are eating you produce a gas as a byproduct from their consumption. So you're going to be bloated. Your
0: tongue's going to stick out. It's going to turn dark, too, your tongue. Yeah. And that gas really stinks.
2: Your eyes are going to protrude.
0: Yeah. Um, There's something called purge fluid. That is a putrid reddish-brown fluid that can be expelled through just everywhere you've got an opening. Right. It can come out of your mouth, your nose, your vagina. Uh, It can be mixed with feces and come out of your rectum. Another... um, there's something else that can come out of your vagina, too. Yeah, this is maybe the worst thing I've ever heard.
2: I I just, I had no idea. Yeah. I had no idea. Go you ahead. know, I know all about death and all that, and it's like, interests me. I had
0: never heard of this before. I don't you, even want to talk about it. You don't either. Maybe we should type it into the computer and m- make the computer say it. <laughs> do we have that ability? <laughs> oh,
2: wow, that was pretty good, Chuck. That was a good computer impression. So, wait, that's what you do... When you don't want to say something yourself, you pretend you're a computer?
0: Yeah, Emily and I, most of our fights are like that. Really? Yeah. it's <laughs> <that's> pretty cute. <laughs> I go into a war games mode. <laughs> what was it again, computer? Uh, Coffin birth.
2: Coffin birth. So basically, those gases that... um, it, uh, This is a real thing. We're not making this up. Yeah, post-mortal fetal
0: extrusion is another name for it.
2: So the gases that build up in the body before the body ruptures um which comes a little later, can become so pressurized that a uh pregnant woman who has died mm-hmm. with the fetus still in utero, yeah. can actually the gases can push the fetus out of the vagina. Yeah. Um, which is coffin birth.
0: Yeah. And this doesn't happen much anymore. No. Thankfully, because we take care of dead bodies pretty quickly. Um although they did find evidence of it in a case in two thousand eight where this woman was found, like in the woods but um it was described a lot in like 16th to 18th century medical literature oh you know it just drove them crazy too oh, sure. like
2: she was obviously alive for weeks afterward
0: yeah and archaeologists apparently too are, are have to rethink uh sometimes when they find cuz sometimes you would die during childbirth but the um they would bury the 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 baby with the mother right and so you would find the bones like cradling each other almost mm mm-hmm. But then they go back, uh, they've had to go back and look at some where they find the, you know, between the legs, the bones of the baby, and they think that might be the case, like of, of a coffin birth.
2: Right. Boy. So there's the worst thing in the world. Yeah. Um, there's probably a death metal band with that name. If there's not, there is now. Yeah. Um, so the The gases ultimately eventually once they start once they really get down to business and they're no longer just what what's it called where the the fluid's coming out of little orifices here or there
0: purge fluid, okay,
2: so once it's like enough with the purge fluid yeah the we're just gonna tear the sucker open, your body ultimately ruptures,
0: yeah, and this is you know your skin is already blistered at this point mm-hmm. um. Your hair, nails, and teeth have fallen out. They don't keep growing. No, it's your skin receding from drying out, from desiccating. Yeah, so pass that around in school, kids. Mm-hmm. When someone says that your fingernails keep growing after death, you set them straight. Tell them Josh sent you.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, I just realized there's kids listening to this. <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, and then the old degloving, which we've talked about before.
2: Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Remember that? Yeah, where the um that can happen to you if you drive at 10 and 2 and you have an airbag, the gases that expand the airbag out of your steering wheel are very hot. And if you're not driving at 9 and 3, and you have your hands at like 10 and 2 or something, yeah. like you're going to be degloved. Really? Alive. Yeah. But, your, yeah. Your skin is just burned right off your hands, or it, it's burned and, and separated and then eventually comes off. So 10 and 2 is not how you should
0: drive any not longer?
2: anymore, no. Really? That's what I've
0: learned. Yeah, I drive it either... Just a straight-up 6 o'clock with one hand. Yeah. Or a nooner, just a straight-up noon. Noon. I I rarely have two hands on the wheel.
2: You don't drive with, like, your knees with your hands behind your head, relaxing?
0: Occasionally, if I'm, uh, you know. Relaxing? Yeah, or playing the guitar or something. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Um, so degloving. Yeah, degloving is, I know we talked about this in uh, probably rigor mortis, but that's when you're— Or body farms, maybe. Yeah. That's when basically your skin is removed— Still attached to things like f- fingernails and things like that, and it's they call it degloving for a reason. I don't think we need to explain. No, <laughs> it makes perfect sense. Or desocking sometimes you're, you know can happen to your feet. And they well,
2: can't. I hadn't heard of that one. Did you just make that up?
0: Well, it, they said gloves or socks if it's your feet. Huh. But I did make up desocking. Desocking. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm gonna have to use that from now on. Yeah, that's good. That stuff. might be a new thing. Um, so
2: the body. It, once it once it ruptures, your organs are already liquid. Um, and all that's left is a skeleton, are which we, will eventually turn to dust, too. Can we be done?
0: No, wait, we can't be done because we do need to talk a little bit about um, assisted suicide. Yeah. I just teed that up for you.
2: Boy, you sure <laughs> did. Um, that's quite a controversial subject. Like we said, um, I don't know if I said or not, like this has just been such an... Uh, huge whirlwind of input yeah. of information in my head in the last like 36 hours studying for this. Sure. Um that I don't know what I've said yet or not or well, what we talked about in another podcast but yeah. so we talked about dying of frailty of old age and that it's increasing. Yeah. Supposedly 5 out of 10 people in the United States will die in the intensive care unit. And I saw this TED talk from Newcastle, Australia, mm-hmm. with this guy. I can't remember what his name is, but it's it's about dying. I think it's called it like, Can We Talk About Dying or something. Right. And his point was uh, you're going to die in the ICU whether you want to or not Right. if you die of a degenerative disease or frailty unless you say you don't want to die there because right. the way medical science is currently set up, you are going to be treated most of the time uh, up until the bitter end with life-saving measures. Sure. And it, you're going to die in the ICU with tubes hooked up and things beeping and like other people w- having crash carts taken in and out of their room and yeah. people making a big ruckus up until the point you die unless they give you palliative care or or you say, I don't want to be sustained like that. I don't want to go to the ICU. And his point was, if half of Americans are going to die in the ICU, uh-huh. you have to assume that maybe not all of them would want to die in the ICU. Right. And therefore, they need to think of things like, I want an advance directive, a living will. Mm-hmm. I want a living power of attorney to somebody to say, no. No, do not put them on a ventilator. Yeah. Do not put them in feeding tubes. Like, they don't want that. They just want to die or they want to go to hospice. They want to go back home. Right. That's another big one. Like, they don't let you go back home. Right. Especially if you can't speak for yourself. Like, to medical science these days, that's crazy. You don't leave the hospital when you know you're dying. You stay in the hospital and, and we keep doing stuff until you die. Right. That's not the way it jobs with a lot of people, but if you... Don't stop and think about it and then write it down or tell somebody who can speak for you. That's You're not going to go home. Yeah, you're you not need to going do to that. go to hospice. You have to do this ahead of time. And part of that that's kind of come out of this idea is, okay, well, if we have autonomy to say, I don't want you to intubate me, yeah. why don't we have the autonomy to say, I want you to give me some stuff that's going to painlessly end my life? Because yeah. it's either that or facing a tremendous amount of pain and suffering right. through this degenerative disease.
0: Yeah, basically saying, I'm ready. I am ready. It is my life. It's uh, like the Richard Dreyfuss movie from the 80s that uh, covered us. Whose life is it anyway, I think?
2: I have no idea what you're talking about.
0: Yeah, I think so. It was a movie okay. about assisted suicide. And do you should you have the right to be able to—you know, it's a hot-button issue for sure. But and oh, apparently yeah. most Americans— or the majority of Americans actually support it until you start using a word like suicide.
2: Right, when you poll them and say, "Do you are you in favor of doctors helping uh, someone to painlessly end their life or something yeah. at the end of life?" They'd say, "Sure." Yeah, and then they're like, "Okay, so you're in favor of physician assisted suicide?"
0: No, no, no. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, what's that word? You know,
2: and and the doctors who are in favor of euthanasia is is another term for it. Um, say. Look at palliative care. It's like half of a step away from physician-assisted suicide. Yeah, like you're keeping somebody if they request it knocked out on morphine for the rest of their life, so they're never going to regain consciousness. Yeah, Um, there's this. You you dug up this one article by a a British physician who argues that um, that agonal. Gasping reflex Apparently when Part of the apnea Is that Your body Has a reflex Where you Gasp for air Mm -hmm. And it's really Disconcerting to family members Even though they don't think That you're suffering Yeah It looks like you're suffering And this doctor argued Well we have drugs That can block This response so that the person can't gasp for air. Right. And what? It's going to cost them their last couple of breaths. But these last couple of breaths make it appear like they're suffering and the family remembers that their kids suffered. Yeah. Um, so why wouldn't we do that? And there's this conversation that's taking place more and more and more that ultimately it's kind of like, who is somebody to say that somebody can't choose to end their own life yeah. painlessly through the use of like drugs? Yeah, or like Hunter Thompson did. Well, I mean, that's another way to go, and, and you anybody can do that. Sure. But uh, there are some people out there who don't want to die violently. They yeah, or to leave peacefully. that for their
0: family. Like, that's the part that I was upset about with that, was his wife, like, finding him and stuff.
2: Yeah, his wife and his son. Yeah. That's and it was like, like not only that, he did it in his own basement, which yeah, I can understand doing it at home, but he left quite a mess in his own basement for his family to
0: clean up. But if he had other options these days, like doctor-assisted suicide... He might not have had to make a mess in his basement for his family. Yeah.
2: And, Chuck, uh, we know that Hunter Thompson is far from the only person to make his own exit his own way. Sure. Another very famous person, uh, Sigmund Freud, did too, huh?
0: Oh, yeah? Yeah, you know that. Assisted suicide.
2: Yeah, literally physician-assisted suicide. He was um, uh, diagnosed with cancer of the palate Uh because he smoked tons of cigars. Right which were sometimes just a cigar. <laughs> I was about to say. And uh, for 16 years, he lived with that diagnosis. And finally, toward the end, he asked his surgeon, his physician, go ahead and hit me up with, I think, five grams of morphine, like wow. just a ton of morphine. And he died three hours after the injection of it. But...
0: Which was more than his usual two grams of morphine. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah.
2: Or cocaine. He loved cocaine. Yeah. Um, but he had um, developed what was called todden angst. Toden angst. That's German. Which is a dread of death. Yeah. So and so he lived with that for sixteen years, but he finally he he decided along the way, like, I I fear this, but I'm gonna take it into my own hands. Huh. Physician assisted suicide, nineteen thirty nine. Yeah. And there's definitely more than one side to this coin. Like oh, yeah. there's a lot of people there's very strong opinions on either side, but sure. I think it's a in at the very least, even if you remove emotion from it, it's an extremely interesting conversation in that it reveals so much about our attitudes toward death. Totally. And autonomy. And like who's, who has the right to decide whether they're going to die or who has the right to tell somebody that they can't do that. Whose life is it anyway? Yeah. Richard Dreyfus. Uh, and then, Chuck, one, la- one other thing that we want to hit on is um, regret.
0: Yeah, I actually saw this a few weeks ago just by chance, and then you sent it to me. Um, I think it was in England, a hospice nurse Uh, Spent a lot of time researching life regrets over the course of a certain amount of time and came up with the five most common life regrets. And uh, I think this is like a good way to end it, you know? Number one, uh, I wish I had the courage to live a life true to myself and not the life others expected of me. Right. That was the number one regret. Yeah. Uh, Number two was I wish I didn't work so hard. That did not surprise me at all. Yeah. Uh, number three, I wish I had the courage to express my feelings. Uh, number four, I wish I'd stayed in touch with my friends. That's a very sad one. And I wish I'd let myself be happier. Is number five? Yeah, like uh,
2: she was saying that they didn't realize toward till the end of their life that happiness is a choice, right? That you make. It's not something that happens to you. It's something you go search out. It's a state of mind that you are, strive for. Sure. And to figure that out, like at the end, that that's a regret.
0: Yeah. So, call to action, people. Yeah, really. Like, these, Think about this stuff.
2: You don't have to wish these things on your deathbed if you start doing something about it now. Exactly. Dying, Chuck. You know what we might have just done? We might have just witnessed it? the death of the death suite. I bet there's something else. Yeah, only time can tell, but I, I don't know how much more aspects of death we can cover. And I'll tell you what. I'm going to put all of them together in a blog post. Oh, nice. The death suite. So, everybody can go listen to all things death via stuff you should know. <laughs> what a gift, yeah, in the meantime, if you want to look up more about dying, just type dying into the search bar at how stuff works. I think it has its own channel um there's so much to it uh and since I said search bar, it's time for listener mail
0: uh this is a nice one. um we don't normally do shout outs, but this was a nice one, and I thought, what better way to end such a depressing show uh. Hey guys and Jerry Love the podcast Josh I have to thank you For teaching my fiance Danny And me about the flashlight trick To see spider eyes at night. <laughs> Oh yeah I still haven't done it man I never think about it at night
2: Jerry you said you tried it right And it worked Yeah
0: Okay I need to do it I need to set a reminder And my
2: my response to people Who've been like Can you, can you explain it again Practice That's my explanation Just practice Just try it from a different angle Okay Just practice It's a real
0: thing It's not <laughs> a trick uh, It is completely amazing And this is from Peachy By the way Uh, And it's wonderful and frightening at the same time. But the problem now is that whenever we walk our dogs at night, I just can't have my normal fiancé. I have this dude with a flashlight stuck to his forehead, (laughs) stopping at every field to let me know just how many spiders our dogs are stepping on and how we are always surrounded. Uh, Thanks for the show. And now for a shameless request. I know you don't often give shout-outs, but it would be the most amazing thing ever if you could give a shout-out to Danny on the podcast the air sometime before our wedding on october 13th oh nice uh let him know that i love him more than anything and that i'm excited to share my life with him even if he does have a flashlight stuck to his forehead for the rest of our lives walking our dogs together uh i know this would totally blow him away and i would even let him listen to that podcast first so thanks to jerry <laughs> thanks guys that is from peachy way to go peachy in thousand oaks california i think uh peachy just expressed it very nicely yeah so danny peachy congratulations uh best of luck best wishes from us i told her listen up for it on that dying podcast and she thought (laughs) that was kind of funny and it's like great (laughs) yeah and danny um maybe put down a flashlight once in a while yeah wife uh and peachy don't use the word fiance so much (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's a life lesson from <laughs> Chuck right there. No one likes to
2: hear that. Um if you want to see if you can talk Chuck into a shout out, take your best shot. You can tweet to us at SYSK podcast. You can uh, talk to him directly on Facebook.com slash stuff you should know. That's where he spends all of his time. Um you can send us an email to stuffpodcast at howstuffworks.com And you can join us at our website, our very own website. It's called stuffyoushouldknow.com.
1: Stuff You Should Know is a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts are wherever you listen to your favorite shows.